good morning, church. I hope you guys have had an awesome week. I hope that you guys have just have felt God's blessing upon you this week. As he just walks with us each and every day. He walks beside us and behind us, and he's out ahead of us making our way. So I just hope you guys felt his peace this week and, and, and the joy that it is to be with God. Um, today, I'm just going to get in and get started here. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit about how we talk, how we speak to each other, the things we say and what they mean, how powerful our words can be against to each other and for each other. You guys remember the old saying, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You know, I probably said that a lot out on the, out on the school grounds or in the classroom, you know. I don't know, maybe even say it still as, you know, adults and stuff, you know, and different things that we do. But um, I remember saying that quite often, you know, as, a, as I was a kid. Um, but it did that really ever make me feel any better, you know, when the, those kind of situations come up? Not that saying, no, that didn't really. Because the, the reality of it is that words do hurt. They do carry a lot of power, and they can hurt us. Uh, from an early age, many of us were taught you know, to show no weakness, right? We were taught to be strong and courageous, uh, especially in the face of adversity and stuff. Uh, we were taught you know, that, that crying was not okay. You know, we were supposed to be strong, stronger than that, right? And it kind of reminds me of that, uh, the scene from that movie, um, A League of Their Own, where Tom Hanks' character, Jimmy Dugan, is, is berating Evelyn as she comes in from the outfield. You know, she had just made a mistake, cost him some runs or something, and, you know, and he's just tearing her down, and, you know, and she starts, starts to cry, you know, and he's just looking at her, you know, and he's just incredulous, like, are you crying? Are you crying? Well, there's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. And she just, the floodgates open, and, you know, it's, and it's over for her. I mean, she just tore her down. And the rest of her team is just angry at him now, you know. And the umpire comes over, you know, and he's saying, he's like, come on, what's going on? And he's just like, she's crying, you know. And it's just like, okay. Maybe you could use, you know, some kinder words or something, you know. And he's just like, but this is baseball. So the umpire turns around, gets ready to leave, and, you know, Jimmy goes and says something a little snarky, you know, to him. And the umpire hears it, and he's like, I heard what you said, and kicks him out, you know. And everybody's just cheering, you know. Yeah, get him out of here, the bum, you know. Well, even though we are taught to be strong and brave, you know, the reality of that is that those words can hurt us, and it can tear us down. I remember feeling, you know, very alone when I was a kid after I, I was teased. I was teased a lot when I was a kid. I mean, you know, I had big ears, and my hair is a lot darker now, but it used to be bright red, you know. And so, I mean, you know, they were, I always, you know, was, uh, you know, a red-headed stepchild or, you know, uh, hot Dan the Mustard Man. I remember being called that a lot. Um, you know, Dumbo the Flying Elephant. I mean, there was all kinds of things. I mean, kids can be kind of mean, you know. But I remember feeling very alone, and, you know, I always felt like, you know, I just wasn't worth anything at that time. 
Well, teasing and bullying, you know, I mean, it's an all too often occurrence, especially in our world today. Um, and not only does it tear a person down, but it hardens their heart as well. Um, you know, and that happened to me at a young age. That, that turned me hard. And, you know, I, I started to turn into the, the thing that I hated the most, you know, the, the, these bullies and stuff. And I would start to bully people. And I remember there was a kid in our class. Um, he, he was from a very poor family. Uh, always came in, you know, just his clothes were dirty. You could tell he hadn't washed them in probably weeks. Um, but this kid, you know, no matter what his situation was, he was happy. And he was go lucky. I mean, he, the kid, he just always had a smile on his face. And, but for the reasons that I can't speak of now, we just had to tease him. You know, we felt like that was just something we needed to do. We need, made, made us feel better, I guess. You know, and that was so wrong. I remember one day, the, the kid had, had an accident at school, and his mom had to come and um, help him out. And me and my friends were standing outside the class, and we were making fun of him, teasing him a lot. And his mom came up behind us, and she heard us. And she had had enough, and she lit into us. And I had never felt worse in my life. I mean, it brought me to tears almost immediately. I felt so bad for what I was doing to this kid. Um, but, you know, I, I just, I felt bad, you know, and I, I went to apologize to him. And Robert was, you know, I don't know if Robert was a Christian. I don't know if they were a Christian family or not. But Robert had forgiveness, though. You know, and he didn't take this harsh or kind. He forgave us for being so cruel to him. And I remember I just what, a, what an impact that kind of had on me at that time. You know, I did not want to be that bully. I did not want to be teasing people and trying to tear them down. And so uh, it wasn't long after that. Robert and I actually became pretty good friends, um, at least until you know, we moved away. But our words, guys, can carry tremendous power, and words can carry tremendous power. Um, our words can be used for destruction and evil, but it can also be used to build up and edify people. Um, our, our tongues, I mean, they can be sharp as a sword and, and quick as a bullet, right? Our words can change the course of this world, too. But there's no more powerful a word out there than the word of God. God's word has the power to create all, right? I mean, he created everything that came into existence. He named all the stars by his word. He brought life into each and every one of us. He breathed life into this world. God's word has the power to change us and to transform us. Today, we're going to hear why his power transformation is so important to us as believers. Okay, so there's an old adage. Um, it's called garbage in and garbage out, right? G-I-G-O. That's right. 
Well, our, our oceans, you know, they are just chucked full of garbage, right? And our landfills are getting filled in to the brim. And they say that the average American produces 1,700 pounds of garbage a year. Now, there's 300, approximately 330 million Americans in the country. So that's a lot of garbage, right? I mean, we, our world is literally getting saturated with garbage. And the same can be said about the things that we listen to and we watch. You can't turn on the TV anymore without hearing curse words or profane music uh, or being exposed to sexual situations or sensualities, Um, you know, witnessing violence or hearing crude jokes, right? And these are just the commercials. These aren't even the shows. But the content of what we see and what we hear corrupts our hearts. And when that happens and it comes out into our actions and our speech is also corrupted how we talk to each other. When we directly change what we listen to and what we read and watch, we begin to change our actions, and our hearts begin to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit that is in us. Paul tells us throughout his letters to the churches of Asia that we should change this garbage in and garbage out to God's word in and God's word out. So in Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul writes to the church, encouraging their new lives as believers in Christ. He talks of putting off our old lives and embracing the transformation that God has placed upon us. And one of those most important transformations occur in the way that we speak to each other. Today we're going to examine Ephesians 4. We're going to be reading verses 29 through 32. Now, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus about this transformation that we go through when we ask Jesus to be our personal Lord and Savior. So let's turn to Ephesians 4, verses 29 through 32 right now. We're going to go ahead and read that passage today. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So verses 29 through 32 talks about how our speech and words should be transformed as well, right? As as much as we get transformed, so should our our talk. As Christians, we should speak differently. Now, I don't mean in like a a King James version differently, you know, with thou's and these and, you know, everything ends in a T-H and, you know, and we don't need to necessarily always talk in uh, Christianese, you know, where... We're always talking about anointed or, or, you know, washed by the blood or fellowship. You know, these words aren't in our normal vernacular. But what our speech should show is that we are different and we live for Christ. So Ephesians 4, 29, Paul says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, 
but only what is helpful for building others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That first part of there is do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. I used to always think that, you know, Paul's talking about just cursing, you know, and cuss words, you know. I mean, that was, that's pretty much what I thought he was talking about. Uh, but it's, it's way more than that. It's so much more than Messiah. The, the Greek word that Paul uses is sapros, and that means to cause to decay or putrefy or to become corrupted. Um, sapros was often used to describe uh, spoiled fish or rotting grapes that were on the ground. Um, and so this meaning it takes on a little stronger, you know, connotation than unwholesome does, you know, from the NIV. Uh, Paul paints this picture, you know, of our old nature and, and the, re, the repulsive and, and vile speech that, that never edifies anybody. Paul's stating that our speech is like rotting fish, creating an unpleasant, um, a repugnant atmosphere to anyone that's around us. Our words don't have to be dirty to be worthless. Paul's telling us that any speech that contains immoral thoughts or profanity or obscenities or taking the Lord's name in vain, any gossip, any speech that's used to tear down another or cause them to stumble in their walk with Jesus is not acceptable, and it shouldn't touch our lips, especially in a Christian believer. These words that Paul speaks of breaks down unity between people. It eats away at relationships, and it poisons our churches and communities. So think of it like a bad apple in a bunch, you know, or a rotten potato in the bag, right? I mean, y'all know what those look like. They get pretty slimy and nasty and, you know, all over everything. Everything else turns rotten as well. Well, our words can be devastating. And it seems that it's our children or our spouses or families or fellow believers that we hurt the most. As believers in Christ, we have an obligation before God to evaluate the impacts of our words. These idle, angry, hateful words that can inflict such great harm for which we will be held accountable. The Lord says in Matthew 12, verse 36, He's warning us about these worthless words. Jesus says, but I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. These empty words, they can come back and they can deceive us. Our tongues can deceive us. Like in many of Paul's letters, the second verse, the second part of verse 29 starts with the word but, right? Paul uses this to begin to contrast to the first part of his statement. Do this, but don't do that. Or do, don't do this, but do this instead, right? Here Paul begins to tell us that our words should be used to build people up, encourage them, and edify them. He says, what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Paul begins to tell us that our words should be used to encourage them and edify them. 
Our words should be spoken from the love in our hearts. I've said earlier, our hearts really are where our, our speech originates. We can't really love our neighbors like this, that second greatest commandment says if we're tearing them down with hateful speech. Pastor James Sidlow Baxter once said, one of the first things that happens when a man is really filled with the Spirit is not that he speaks with tongues, but that he learns to hold the one tongue he already has. Okay, it takes me back to that movie again here, you know, a little while later. Uh, Evelyn makes another error out in the field, comes back in, and you can just tell on her face she's scared because she knows she's going to be lit into again. But this time, Dugan just sits there, and he's kind of shaking a little bit, you know, and he's just like, Evelyn, you know, I just need you to learn how to hit the cutoff man for next year. And right away, she was just, her face lightened up. And she's like, okay, thank you. You know, that's how we can change and how we can change other people, just by speaking to them a kind word. His way, yeah, maybe not so. I mean, it's not like he was probably a godly man, not from his actions, but, you know. Paul reminds us by using our speech to build each other up and not just for our selfish gain that we really are doing is we're opening up our lives to the guidance and the teaching of the Holy Spirit. We're allowing Jesus to do that supernatural work of transformation, throwing off those old garments of our past life to wear that new garment of salvation and redemption. James 3, verse 2 says, We all stumble in many ways, and anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So I know none of us are perfect. Like James says, we all stumble. But I think that if we could take Ephesians 4.29 seriously, and throughout our days, there would be so much less violence in our world. There would be so much less divorce between husbands and wives. And our churches wouldn't be torn apart by decisive divisiveness and disunity. So Paul continues on for verse 30. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with him you were sealed for the day of redemption. Not only can our coarse speech tear our brothers and sisters down, but it also grieves the Holy Spirit that's within us. Well, the first and foremost thing I want to stress is that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's not an it. He's not a force, you know, like Star Wars. You know, the Holy Spirit's a living person within us. It's the Spirit of Christ that lives within us. It's the third person of that Holy Trinity. The word grieve, it means to pain or to hurt or to cause sorrow. So we must ask, how can I be guilty of grieving the Holy Spirit of God? And the answer to Scripture is found in Scripture. Paul tells us, don't let these unwholesome words 
come out of our mouths. And in verse 31, we find that Paul also talks about putting out the bitterness and wrath and anger. These are these things that build up this unwholesome talk that comes out of our mouths. So now I want to read a passage. It was written by Charles Spurgeon. It talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. I think this passage, it just hit me really hard when I read it. I mean, Spurgeon really nails what it means to be grieving of the Holy Spirit. And, and he's talking not even just in our speech, but I mean, just the many things that we do. There's things that, you know, the Holy Spirit feels for us. And so he writes, I think I now see the Spirit of God grieving. When you are sitting down to read a novel, and there's your Bible unread. Perhaps you take down some books of travels, and you forget you've got a more precious book of travels in the Acts of the Apostles and in the story of your blessed Lord and Master. You have no time for prayer, but the Spirit sees you very active about worldly things and having many hours to spare for relaxation and amusement. And then he is grieved because he sees that you love worldly things better than you love him. And although the word grieve is a painful one, yet there is honey in the rock, for it is an inexpressibly delightful thought that he who rules heaven and earth and is the creator of all things and the infinite and ever-blessed God condescends to enter into such infinite relationships with his people that his divine mind may be affected by their actions. What a marvel that deity should be said to grieve over the faults of beings so utterly insignificant as we are. Sin everywhere must be displeasing to the spirit of holiness, but sin in his own people is grievous to him in the highest degree. He will not hate his people, but he does hate their sins and hates them all the more because they nestle in his children's bosoms. The spirit would not be the spirit of truth if he could approve of that which is false in us. He would not be pure if that which is impure in us did not grieve him. The Holy Spirit's grief is not of a petty, oversensitive nature. He is grieved with us mainly for our sakes, for he knows what misery sin will cost us. He reads our sorrows and our sins. He grieves over us because he sees how much chastisement we incur and how much communion we lose. Not only do we grieve the Holy Spirit, but he's grieving for us. The Holy Spirit's hurt when we treat each other with disrespect and hateful speech. And this is exactly what Satan wants to see. He wants to see us tear each other down. He wants to see us say things that go against the teaching of Jesus. He wants us to blaspheme in God. Because these kinds of hurtful words that come to our lips as true believers and children of God are what breaks our relationships, what breaks our relationship with God. As true believers, guys, and children of God, we should stop and seek out the Lord for help and put these kinds of words away. 
verse 31, Paul talks about the emotions that well up inside of us. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So here, Paul's writing of the results of those evil thoughts in our hardened hearts. Bitterness that wells up inside of us from actual and perceived betrayals and hurtful actions that befall all of us. Bitterness in this verse is the irritable state of mind that keeps a man in perpetual animosity. It inclines him to harsh opinions of our brothers and sisters and even our enemies. And that makes him sour and crabby, uh, repulsive in his general demeanor. It brings a scowl over our face, right? It fuses the word on our tongues with venom. Bitterness is also a resentment or a grudge-filled attitude. It's an unwillingness to forgive. And this is the bait of Satan, our unwillingness to forgive. Satan can convince us to keep our grudges against each other. The Holy Spirit and God's Spirit will be grieved. And this can be the crack that develops in our relationship with God. Satan considers these small cracks wins. Bitterness in the heart makes us treat others the way that Satan treats them, when we should be treating others the way that God has treated us. In His grace, God has forgiven us, and we should forgive others. As Matthew 6, verses 14 through 15, says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Holding a grudge poisons our spiritual lives, guys. But with the Holy Spirit's help, let's uproot this bitterness we have inside of us. It's amazing how, how joyful our lives will be when God is allowed to purge out the poison of bitterness that's inside of us. Wrath and anger and malice, they follow in verse 31. And it says these three emotions, they spawn out of that pit of that bitterness that we hold. Anger and wrath, they can lead into an uncontrollable rage. And sometimes it ends with unintentional results. Um, <clears throat> so back in the spring of 1894, I know a few of you probably remember that, right? Or, or maybe not. But anyways, the Baltimore Orioles, they were playing the, um, they came up to Boston to play uh, just a routine baseball game, right? Um, but on that day, anything but routine happened. Uh, the Orioles' John McGraw got into a fight with Boston's third baseman, Tommy Tucker. Now, within moments, I mean, this fight turned into just a melee. The, both teams came out, and they were fighting all over, right? Well, this hate, this anger, all this erupted up into the stadium, too. And so now you got all these fans and everybody up there fighting each other. And during all this commotion and stuff, somebody decided it would be a smart thing to start a fire. 
Well, well, back in those stadiums, you know, I mean, they're all just sticks, right? You know, just wood just erupted, took off, burned uncontrollably out of, out of control. They could not get this stopped. But not only did it burn the ballpark down, it set fire to the neighboring uh, homes and businesses. It ended up burning 170 buildings as well that day. Guys, one moment of anger can destroy so much unintentionally. We, sometimes we don't even intend it to go beyond here, but it can spread so fast. In James 1, 19 through 20, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Paul also mentions slander in verse 31. Slander comes from the Greek word blasphemia. <clears throat> you can probably guess another word we use that's derived from the Greek, blasphemy. The idea of blasphemy is that the word spoken hurt or smite the reputation of another, right? It means to destroy or discredit somebody's good name by speaking evil against them. Blasphemy is an injury that's offered to God by denying that which is true and belonging to Him or attributing to Him that which is not agreeable to His nature. So it's worth noting that in the Old Testament, Blasphemy was a most serious sin. So serious, in fact, that the law of Moses decreed that anyone who blasphemed the name of God was to be stoned. This law even included foreigners who were guests in the camp of Israel. So when I think of slander, the word gossip comes to mind. Gossip's one of the most heinous forms of slander that there is. More often than not, it contains vicious lies about the person who's being talked about. I know we've probably all, you know, at one time or another been exposed to it. We may even have shared it or have been the object of it. But regardless of what it was, it grieves the Holy Spirit. And we hurt God when we spread this gossip. <clears throat> when we spread gossip and lies, these lies about God are being spread as well. It's because as Christians, with this indwelling Holy Spirit, our words should never be deceitful. And they should never declare this false testimony. But Paul wraps up his passage in verse 32. And he kind of rephrases the second of the greatest commandments. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave us, forgave you. Forgiveness, it's an extremely important virtue of God that He wants us to model. We're a fragile, per we're a fragile people. And though some may think otherwise, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, words will never hurt me. But when we fall, a helping hand and a kind word can always be there to change our lives. Proverbs 12, 25, it says, Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. 
Yesterday, uh, Emmett and I were at the uh, air show in Airway Height, or at Fairchild, and it wasn't a really great day for a for a air show. You know, it was raining, a lot of cloud cover. You know, but we had a great time. I mean, you know, it's fun to look at all the planes and the equipment that was there. You know, and just listen to some of the history of the armed forces. Um, <clears throat> And at the end, you know, everybody was waiting, you know, the Thunderbirds were coming, you know, and they were getting ready for that great show. And it is an awesome show if, if you guys have never seen it before. Uh, it's going to be out there this afternoon. So, But um, they announced that they, they couldn't do their show. The, the ceiling was just too low. It was like, you know, 1,200 feet. They needed 8,000 feet to be able to do the entire show and a minimum of 2,000 feet just to do the low show. So, so they had to cancel. So, you know, immediately you start hearing a lot of people grumbling and, you know, just like, oh, we wasted our day and blah, 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 you know, things like that. But what I really noticed, though, it was people going up to all the servicemen that were there and thanking them for the things they do for our country. These guys, they, they sacrifice so much for us. And just by going and just giving them those kind words and telling them thank you for that sacrifice and that service, you know, I could just see a change in some of them. You know, they just, you could see that they were happy to do it, that they were glad to hear this from, from all the people that were there. So, you know, it's sometimes, I mean, the weight, especially today in this uncertain world that we're facing, the weight of the military can be huge and heavy on their hearts. And Solomon is telling us anxiety weighs down the heart, but that kind word can cheer it up. Well, Paul wrote to the Ephesians so they can understand that the transformations that are made in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, they're changes for service that we do for each other. It's how we take care of each other. It's how we love on each other. And when we love on each other, Helping through a kind word or a charitable action, the Spirit of Christ shines brightly in us. So I want to close today with the words of the Apostle Peter. He summarizes this passage that we just looked at. So let's turn our Bibles to 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. First Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. <clears throat> the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So let's go to the Lord. Well, Heavenly Father, Lord, I just I thank you, God, that in your word, we find the ways to, to love on each other, God. Lord, we thank you that you teach us and you guide us with the Holy Spirit that indwells within us, Father. 
that our speech, that our words, they are to be used to lift each other up, to carry us in our days. Father, there are many trials and tribulations that we're going to face each and every day. Lord, help us to, to make the words that we use lift each other up, to carry each other, Father, as you do for us each and every day. Thank you, O oh God, for loving us and caring for us. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.